Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. I'm Charlie Wright. We're very pleased you've joined us today, and we'd like to welcome back... Paul Heathwood, CFA, Director of Investor Relations and a founding partner at Boston Partners, a family of mutual funds and separately managed account, managing about $100 billion in funds. He speaks to us from their headquarters in New York City. Paul, welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you for having me. So, Paul, uh, you were a founding partner with um, Boston Partners since uh, their beginning in 1995. So you've been there the entire time, have no one else to blame, right, for problems. Uh, you've, uh, you used to manage a number of uh, mutual funds and SMAs. Uh, today, again, you're Director of Investor Relations. You guys have over uh, 150 employees. Today, we're going to focus on your long, short funds and strategies. So give us a brief background of um, Boston Partners, will you? Yeah, so Boston Partners is an investment firm. Uh, That simply means that uh, we focus on stock picking and fundamental analysis is the means for adding value to our portfolios. Uh, Our goal is to actively manage a portfolio and produce outperformance for our clients. And we do that across a number of different strategies. Uh, of particular interest, I think, are the long-short strategies that you mentioned. Uh, we manage four different strategies uh, in total, uh, two domestically oriented, uh, one that's a global fund, and then the one I'd like to focus our comments on today is really uh, emerging markets uh, long-short fund, which we're very uh, excited about the prospects, both in terms of returns and our ability to, to add value. Uh, in total, we run about $10 billion of that $100 billion uh, in uh, long-short portfolios, uh, principally available in mutual funds that really any investor could buy for about a $2,500 minimum. Um, and we have been involved in long-short investing since 1998. So we've seen a number of ups and downs in the markets, and uh, the portfolios have generally weathered uh, the ups and downs pretty well. So uh, we're very excited about our capabilities there, and I love talk to pe- talking to people about them. So, Paul, uh, we're looking forward to talking about those uh, long-short strategies and particular uh, emerging markets and how one does shorting in emerging markets. But first, uh, let's start with you spoke. Uh, we were introduced because you spoke at a conference a couple of weeks ago in New York on alternative strategies, and we actually interviewed you briefly for the show uh, a couple of weeks before that. Uh, tell us, how did the conference go? What did you tell them? Uh, what did you talk about at that conference? Yeah, so the conference was very well. It was very well attended by probably about 100 uh, different allocators. Uh, There were many speakers. The topics were all on liquid alternatives, uh, which I think is an attractive area because uh, it's so accessible to so many investors. And what we really focused our comments on were the emerging markets long short portfolio that I had mentioned. And uh, we had been running that strategy for about three years with the goal of producing emerging markets equity returns but doing so with a much improved risk profile. And uh, that's what we shared with people. We talked about some of the, uh, the stories and, and opportunities there and, and why we think uh, over a 5 to 
your period, uh, opportunities in emerging markets are so robust. So uh, before we get started uh, with your particular long-short strategies, let's ask this question. What misperceptions do you see by investors and advisors when they're looking uh, at long-short strategies? What do you see that you don't think that they see? I think uh, there's just a reticence to uh, put emerging or to put long short equity portfolios in uh, an asset allocation in a very meaningful way. I think a lot of investors are taking a dip my toe in the water approach, uh, which is understandable. But I think as you get familiar and as you really study these strategies, they're really just active equity portfolios, and by going long and short. You're giving your uh, active manager a greater toolbox to be able to produce an attractive outcome, provided they're able to uh, provide value on both the long and the short side. So I really think long-short equity shouldn't be viewed as a separate asset class. It should just be viewed as another segment of your active equity allocation and one that can put up good returns but also improve the risk profile. And that's how I think investors really ought to look at this and should be more uh, apt to uh, to use them in a bigger way. So let's uh, let's get into the taller weeds here on your long short strategies. First of all, how do you do your shorting? Do you short stocks? Do you buy puts? Uh, how do you do that? Sure. So the shorts are there as a source of value add in the portfolio. Uh, we do fundamental research on all of the shorts that we invest in. And we're looking for companies that have a combination of rich valuation, uh, some kind of fundamental uh, issue in their business that we think will erode some of the above-average profitability they're seeing, and then some kind of near-term catalyst that will help uh, decrease the value of that particular short position. Uh, We do this through a bottom-up analysis of each company. We look at their financial statements, their balance sheets, their income statements, and essentially, it's based on the premise that uh, markets are efficient, uh, that profits uh, revert to the mean, uh, but there will be temporary periods where companies earn above average levels of profitability that we think will eventually come in and be competed away, and that can make for uh, interesting short candidates. So again, on the short side, uh, if you are looking at through fundamental analysis and evaluating that way, you must be taking a longer-term view of things, especially on the short side, correct? Uh, That's correct. I would say you want to have a sense of where the business is. However, on the short side, you're going to take a little bit of a a shorter-term view because ultimately stocks go up over time. Uh, So you need to that is often the enemy of the short seller. So you need to be somewhat opportunistic in your shorts. Uh, understand that you don't need every company to go out of business for it to be a successful short. And you may have it short for a period of time. We tend to find that the turnover in our short portfolio tends to be a bit uh, higher than on the long side, simply because uh, the, the news flow and the, the volatility of the shorts that we tend to short are a little bit higher. So that does turn over a little bit more than the long portfolio. And in a long, short portfolio, uh, you know, again, as no one needs to tell you, there, there are dozens of these, uh, and every one of them is a little different in their being net long or net short. How do you determine whether you should be net long or net short at any particular time? 
So we really let the bottom-up opportunities that we see in the market determine our net exposure. So if you think of our portfolio, we always run a fully invested long portfolio. So for every dollar that a client invests with us, we invest that dollar in a portfolio of long positions. And then at the same time, uh, we short a portfolio of short positions, typically between 30 and 70 cents on that dollar. So we'll have a dollar long and let's say on average 50 cents short. So the, do- the investor will have a dollar fifty worth of exposure, uh, but some of that exposure is going to be based on the long market and some is going to be based on the short market. And if we can add value on both sides there, uh, we think we're going to give uh, a pretty interesting proposition uh, for, for clients. Yeah, no question about it, uh, especially in a range-bound market like so many are protecting, uh, um, are predicting at this point uh, that, that that can be a real winner. However, uh, no one <laughs> again, I don't need to tell you that long-short strategies have really struggled over the past years. So let's focus a little on your emerging markets because that 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 is quite rare in the industry there are tons of domestic long short strategies and funds uh, etfs mutual funds uh, uh, strategies of various types but not many in the emerging markets area why are you there and uh, how do you feel about it we are there because we see great opportunities if you look at the growth prospects for emerging markets uh, they're growing at five six percent a year those economies And that's going to reflect uh, definitely in their capital markets and in the markets that investors can invest in. If you also look at uh, the percent of global GDP that emerging markets contribute, it's about 58% of global GDP, yet their market capitalization is only about 11%. So we see the two of those numbers converging over time, so there's a great uh, opportunity to be there. The problem with emerging markets for many investors is volatility. As we all know, <laughs> emerging markets are really the most volatile equity markets out there. Uh, not only do you have specific company risk that you have to deal with, but you have many macroeconomic and global geopolitical concerns as well, which adds a lot of volatility to the to those markets. Now, we like this volatility as an active manager. It creates great opportunities on the both the long and the short side, and based on our work, the inefficiencies there that an active manager can tap into are far greater than in U.S. markets and in uh, developed markets outside the U.S. So we see um, great uh, opportunity there. Uh, And the great thing about a long-short portfolio is it gives you the tools to help manage and reduce that volatility. And that's really where we think the, the key element of this strategy is, is that investors can make emerging markets a strategic part of their asset allocation. And uh, by adding a long-short portfolio, uh, that will help you manage the volatility a bit better. You also mentioned that um, there's nobody else out there that really does this. And that, I think, is largely true. It is quite a heavy lift to to short in emerging markets. In many uh, locales, it's prohibited by law. So you need to uh, have very deep uh, relationships with prime brokers and an ability to get access to stock that you can short uh, in those markets uh, to get that better volatility. So you need to have a lot of experience in long-short equity. You need to have a network of firms that you can tap into and really have a global platform uh, that you can build off of to be able to get uh, enough short borrow and exposure to shorts 
to effectively do that. So we think actually that's a pretty attractive barrier to entry for other firms and is something that will keep that those attractive inefficiencies in that market for some time. Yeah, and, and I would agree that that all sounds logical. So emerging markets uh, have a wide disparity, uh, as we all know. Uh, you know, you've got from, from, from South Korea and, and, and China through Africa and Iraq and other places that are very unstable. Which emerging market markets do you guys really like and are you particularly focused on? Yeah, so our principal focus is on the Pacific, the Asia Pacific. Uh, China is a big market for us, uh, as well as the uh, Asia Pacific. Uh, we're doing more and more in India these days. Uh, we do do work in Latin America and some of the frontier markets, although that is a a smaller portion of what we do. Another thing that's really attractive about emerging markets is we have an all-cap strategy, so meaning we're not just owning the big, uh, large bellwether names that uh, investors would be familiar with, like a Samsung or an Alibaba. We own some of that, but we also own a good number of small and mid-cap companies uh, that are very tied to local markets and have um, very specific performance drivers that affect those companies. So. Uh, we find the small and mid-cap area also a very attractive uh, segment of the market, and there's probably about 50% of our portfolio are in those areas, and we've just find some, found some really uh, interesting opportunities. Um, just to give you an example, uh, there are the Baijiu producers in China. Uh, Baijiu is a local liquor uh, that they consume over there that is very popular. Like uh, most uh, spirits industries, uh, they start as very fragmented businesses uh, that have many different producers. Uh, some of the top Baijiu producers have been consolidating their industry uh, and rolling it up into one company, getting the benefits of scale, both in terms of distribution and manufacturing and marketing. So when you can tap into those stories early on, that can be a really attractive uh, opportunity, and we've been able to make a lot of money for our investors investing in some of those Baijiu uh, companies. I, I can see that. And as well, you mentioned inefficiencies in that market. No question about it. There are inefficiencies that exist there that do not exist in, uh, in developed markets. But one question that many people I find ask about um, those emerging markets is how trustworthy uh, are the financial statements and is the information that you're getting from these companies? Uh, it's an excellent, uh, an excellent question. I would say uh, 10 years ago it was more problematic. It's gotten much better. Both um, there are uh, generally accepted and in, in merged international accounting standards, which have made things easier. Uh, and then also many of these countries are trying to at attract foreign capital, so they realize that is a, a requirement of the business. And that was one of the things where Boston Partners has gotten an EM the last three years or so. And we really needed the data sets that we were receiving, uh, both in terms of the breadth and the quality, to be to a certain standard before we felt confident running money. Uh, so that has very much improved, and we have used both our fundamental work and a lot of quantitative analysis to ensure that the data we're seeing is, uh, is good. And we've been... Um, it's just worked out uh, for us so far. So we feel confident enough to be able to uh, to invest. That being said, you still have that is risk. So we run highly diversified portfolios uh, because one of our uh, big views is that the future is unknowable. And as well as you understand and know a company, 
the unexpected can happen. So you want to spread your exposures across a, a diversified portfolio. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know much about that market um, place, but I've heard that uh, many of those companies are state-owned enterprises. Uh, do you guys invest in those? Oh, we do. Uh, we will own some of the larger Chinese SOEs, and we ha- we were away from them uh, through the 2015-16 period because when they become arms of the government, you can have unpredictable and non-economic decisions being made. However, a lot of attractive value has been created with some of the state-owned enterprises in China, and we've begun to go back into them in more recent periods because of the very uh, attractive, uh, attractive value there. Okay. So let's talk for a minute about uh, those who buy into your funds, funds or separately managed accounts. Are they primarily retail investors? Are they primarily institutions, uh, these big public uh, uh, funds, uh, retirement funds, etc.? Who buys into your funds and why? Sure. It's, it's a bit of an all of the above. The principal investors in our long-short portfolios have been uh, retail investors working with an advisor. So we do a lot of work with the advisory firms, the banks and the brokerage firms, and their uh, professional research teams looking to make our funds available there and then getting plugged into a recommended list or to a model. So that is how it flows through to the individual investor, uh, which really makes up the, the lion's share of our investor base, uh, which has been very stable. And you know, what they tell us is that Boston Partners is a very stable investment firm with a very clear and straightforward way of managing money. And I think another important thing is that when one has to go and explain how we do things, it's pretty easy for someone to relate it to another person and have them understand it. You get involved in some of these alternative strategies, and it can get pretty esoteric and not only uh, difficult for uh, potential advisor to understand, but inability to express that to uh, to an end client. So uh, that straightforward approach and having the results that really fit with the way we describe how we do it uh, makes it very uh, interesting and intriguing and easy for investors to use and understand why they own it. So, Paul, let's get into a, a couple of um, uh, individual questions here. If you were to briefly describe the best advice you ever heard, read, or received about investing, what would it be? I think it's really that successful investing is about probabilities. That it's not about trying to beat the market or try to predict where the future is going. It's have a sound investment strategy and stick to it and realize that if I let the fullness of time work to my benefit and I have just built in a small edge in my investment approach, the probabilities will work in my favor. So that is a way to really drown out the noise and focus on the key things that matter. And I think particularly for individual investors, that's asset allocation, where you're gonna allocate your assets is gonna be the most important, and sticking to that asset allocation over time. I think investors spend a lot of time thinking about the next greatest component of that asset allocation rather than the bigger picture. And I think you find a good manager, you stick with it, and let those probabilities work in your favor and let the passage of time work in your favor. You know, I really appreciate hearing that. Uh, probabilities is something that uh, anybody who does any options trading uh, certainly knows all about. 
and is a major part of that options trading, but I rarely hear about it in uh, the regular investment world, especially from advisors. And I think that is a great point that uh, so often is overlooked and is very, very important. Moving on, the second question we'd like to ask our guest is, what keeps you awake at night, Paul? As we look at it now, uh, I think the, the potential rivalry between the U.S. and China and how things play out is, uh, is certainly of something to be watchful for. You know, certainly China has uh, done, made amazing strides in the last 16, 17 years to really catch up with the developed uh, world, and they certainly have. They obviously have a good ways to go, and the U.S. is saying, hey, you guys have had a pretty good run, but it doesn't seem as fair as it ought to be, and we need to look at this. So I think how China and U.S. the U.S. navigate uh, dealing with some of these tensions that have arisen as China has grown, it seems to me there's a clear path that can be beneficial for both parties, but you never know what twists and turns they take and uh, how personalities can get involved. So I think that's something in the bigger picture that I think about that uh, will certainly have a big impact on markets uh, in, the, uh, in the years ahead. Yeah, I, no question about that. And, Paul, the, the last question we ask all of our guests, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? I would uh, recommend two books. Uh, on investing, I would recommend David Swenson's uh, Unconventional Success. It was written in 2005, and David Swenson is the CIO of the Yale Endowment, which is probably one of the most successful uh, investors uh, over the years. I, I like it so much because he focuses so much on asset allocation and gives investors a framework and a mindset on what can be achieved in investing, and it probably is not as high as you think. So it just means that uh, you can get little wins over time. That is really a key to success. And then one other I would just mention on markets, uh, too Big to Fail by Andrew Ross Sorkin, which is basically a recounting of the 2008-2009 global financial crisis, I think is a fascinating read on what can happen to markets and how things can uh, get away from people. Yeah. So uh, a quick comment on both of those. One is uh, David Swenson. I read that book when it first came out. And uh, he has always been a favor of mine and probably just about everybody uh, in the industry. And uh, he's not only a great guy, but has very sound ideas. And I got to hand it to you, he is not easy on mutual funds. So for a mutual fund guy <laughs> to recommend David Swenson's book, you, you, you're very brave there, Paul. And number two, um, uh, on the financial crisis of 2008, just last week, we interviewed uh, somebody who was on the inside of that whole thing uh, with, um, you know, big companies, hedge funds, etc., on the fixed income side, and we spent 30 minutes just talking with him about what he saw that the rest of us didn't see. So for you right. and all of our listeners, uh, uh, we, we have posted that as of yesterday, and we would love to have you go on there and look at it. You can tell by the title what it's all about, and it's very, very interesting. So give us your website and contact information here, Paul, or where people can go who would like to know more. Our website is www.boston-partners.com, and my email address is P. Heathwood, that's P-H-E-A-T-H-W-O-O-D, at thepartners.com. Very good. Thank you very much. So, Paul, final words for our listeners. No, we very much thank you for having me. Uh, we're very excited about uh, prospects in emerging markets, 
and we think a strategy that can allow you to enjoy the growth in those markets but to do so with less volatility is a pretty attractive uh, proposition and one that uh, investors should uh, think long and hard about adding to their asset allocation. And no question about it, uh, you got Boston Partners is one of the few that actually does it. So, Paul, thank you very much for joining us, and our best wishes to you and Boston Partners to continue that $100 billion run here. Thank you. Again, we've been talking with Paul Heathwood, CFA, Director of Investor Relations and a founding partner at Boston Partners. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We would love to hear from you. Info at strategicinvestorradio.com is how you can get a hold of us. And you can go to our website to hear podcasts of any and all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright saying thank you for being with us today and wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host Charlie Wright or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.